Well, good evening. My name's Roger Bryan. I'm one of the ministers here this evening, and we have the fun job of looking at this particular passage. Uh, let me pray as we come to God's Word this evening. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have um, to study your Word together, and we pray tonight that as we look at your Word, that you would continue to help us understand what it is saying to us, that you continue to help us have soft hearts and open ears so that our lives may be transformed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start in a sec. We aren't quite ready. Now, I know what you're all thinking. That guy up there was ahead of the curve in terms of fashion. (laughs) That is me about 28 years ago when we got married. And I have really enjoyed being married. I love being married. It's a fantastic thing to be married. It's absolutely delightful. I'm not saying that it hasn't had its ups and downs, but I really love being married. And I think that's actually the way God intended things to be. When you get married, to really enjoy being married. But of course, sometimes things don't go as well and there are challenges and things that we need to face. And sometimes things end up in divorce. Now, how are we to think about that as Christians? How are we to think about our married lives? What are we to do and what are we to say? Well, in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, we come to a section where Jesus speaks about marriage. And he wants to lift our eyes. He wants to say, there's a new way of living. There's a newer way of living in the kingdom. He wants to lift our eyes and say, I want you to have marriages as complete and as beautiful as they can possibly be. But as Jesus speaks, he will say some things that will be very challenging. He will say some things which will stir our hearts. He will say some things which may make us feel very uncomfortable. Now, I recognise as we come to talk about marriage tonight, some of you may be saying, oh, another sermon from a minister on marriage. I'm single. How's this relevant to me? Well, the truth is, and I have to admit, that churches are not always very good at supporting those who are single. I think we've got to do better. Because the Bible actually is very supportive of those who remain single. The Bible actually celebrates the fact that people are single. Affirms and supports it. And I want to do the same and I think we need to speak about it and I think we'll speak about it a little bit later on this year. 
But it's important to also hear, if you're a single person, about marriage and about the way that it works. Because I think you also need to support marriage and support those who are married. Because as Jesus speaks on the Sermon on the Mount, he's not speaking to just married people. He's speaking to single people as well. If you think about it, Jesus is single himself and he's promoting marriage. So there's something to listen for here and I encourage you to do so, recognising that we've often failed in the way that we support those who are single amongst us. The second thing I want to say is, before we dive into this passage, this passage deals with the issue of divorce. Tonight, we cannot deal with all the issues surrounding divorce. And I also recognise that for some of you, the whole issue of divorce is very painful. Perhaps because of your own experiences in life or what you've seen others go through. And I would be happy to sit down and talk with you afterwards if what we say tonight raises issues for you. But I recognise this can be a painful topic. And I want to acknowledge we're not going to say everything we could say about divorce this evening. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is wanting us to live lives as married people to the highest standard. The passage we're looking at comes right in the middle of these words. You might remember Andrew finished off last week with these words in Matthew chapter 5. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. The standard is high, Jesus is saying. At the end of this chapter, and in, be- and in between is the stuff on marriage, we read, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Whatever Jesus is going to say about marriage is going to be of the highest order. It's going to call us to a new vision, a new way of looking at things. Well, let's dig around a little bit in terms of the passage and understand the context of what it's saying and then let's dig into the passage itself. What we'll discover is that Jesus is committed to faithful monogamy. That's the standard in terms of marriage. Faithful monogamy. If that's the only thing you remember tonight about this sermon and about marriage, well, that's it. That's the thing to remember. Jesus' standard is faithful monogamy. But he begins his two statements about marriage in this way. You have heard that it was said, it has been said. Now, you might remember last week, Andrew referred us to the fact that there was a whole of discussion around various commandments in the Old Testament and different ways of treating them. And did Jesus come to fulfil the law? What was he actually doing? Well, this is another one of those things where there was great discussion around divorce and remarriage. And so when Jesus says, have you heard it said or it has been said, he's referring to a particular thing that's taking place within discussions amongst people of the day. For example, he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, where we read, when a man 
takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favour in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce. In other words, there's reasons for divorce and you need a certificate for divorce. What is the reason for divorce? Well, there was one group of people who said that the only reason for divorce was adultery. There was another group of people gaining influence at Jesus' time who said basically you could divorce your wife under any cause. So the classic example is if you've cooked a bad meal, that's indecent. Therefore, you can divorce your wife. There were other examples. If you let your hair down in the house, you could be divorced. If you spoke to a man other than your husband outside the home, you could be divorced. Josephus divorced his wife because her behaviour displeased him. Others said things like, well, there's actually a prettier woman over there. My wife is indecent, so I want to divorce my wife and get married to her. People were coming up with all kinds of excuses and reasons for why they could divorce their wives. And it is into this situation that Jesus is speaking. He's aware of this context and he wants to rescue marriage and he wants to say something to us about the beauty and wonder of marriage. And so he says this, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. They're arguing about why to split up. He's saying you haven't even understood what adultery is about. You haven't understood what you're talking about. Let me redefine what you're thinking. Sadly, in that particular time, Adultery was really about men having sex with other people's wives. And if that wife had sex with a married man, they were committing adultery. But the twist is, for many people, men could actually have sex with unmarried women and it wasn't considered a problem. So in other words, in some instances, men had sex with their wives in order to have children and sex with people who weren't married in order to gain pleasure. It was a common way of thinking at the time. And Jesus is saying, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not have sexual relationships with someone outside your marriage. And notice, it's not gender specific. He's not saying man or woman. He's saying both of you don't have sex outside your marriage. What we also notice here is that this is a matter of the heart. 
You see there? But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now he particularly picks on guys because that's the context he, he is in. But I think the application is broader. And what he's saying is that lust and adultery is a matter of the heart. This is not just something physical. This is something that will affect you deeply and permanently. This is something that will stay with you. This is something that will alter the shape of your life, the shape of who you are. This is a heart matter. It's serious. It's a big deal. Don't treat it lightly. It shapes who you are. It shapes your very being. And then he redefines adultery by saying, if you look at someone lustfully, you have already committed adultery within your heart. Lust is an awful thing. Lust is a strong desire for something that is not yours. A strong desire for something that's not yours. When you're trying to grasp at something that's not yours, your vision changes. Your focus changes. You start looking in one particular direction and you start not looking in other directions. And if you feed your desire, you try and grasp more and more for what you want. And because of that, it also makes you a slave. You start acting in order to reach what you desire and it starts to change your behaviour and the way that you go about things and you become enslaved to what it is that you desire. And in the end, it becomes a stance of hostility because you start to treat the other as an object, not for who they really are. You get it? You treat other people as an object. It's actually a stance of hostility. It's complete disrespect for the other. That's where lust leads you. I've kind of seen it in monkeys. I've walked past many monkeys in cages. And if you have a piece of fruit and you walk past a monkey's cage, they're very keen to get the fruit. And so they reach through the cage and try and grab the fruit. And it's like their whole vision changes. Like their focus is the piece of I want the piece of fruit. And so they keep trying to reach through the bars to get the piece of fruit. And it's like they become enslaved to this reaching through the bars to get the piece of fruit. And after a while they get angry because they can't have the piece of fruit. Now, if someone else came around and opened up the door 
so that they could get out, they wouldn't notice. They wouldn't notice there's another way out of the cage because their focus is here. They want that piece of fruit. They don't realise that freedom's the other direction. They're so lustful for that piece of fruit. And that's the way lust works. It puts us in a cage like a monkey. And Jesus is saying, when you lust after someone else who is not your wife or your husband, I would say, that's what happens to you. You commit adultery and you are enslaved. So how do we deal with this? Well, Jesus has a very interesting answer. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. This is serious. This is going to affect your heart and your soul and your life, so get rid of it. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. The gravity of what Jesus is saying. How protective he is of marriage. He's saying, don't you dare look at another person lustfully. Do everything you can to escape. Everything possible to escape. How does that work out in practice? Well, Origen is reported, uh, a church leader in the early days, is reported to have castrated himself because he thought this might be the solution to deal with his lust. Perhaps we could set up the operating theatre just here. Dave Ryan, is he here tonight? We could re- oh, there he is. He's our um, resident surgeon. We could set up the operating theatre here and start dealing with everyone like that. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, because if you think about it, if you gouge out one eye, you've still got left one eye. So... That doesn't, it's not literal. It's not trying to say, literally do that. I like Luther's solution. He said, it's okay for birds to fly over. That, that just happens. Birds fly over. But don't let them nest in your hair. In other words, we might notice something Something might interest us, but don't let it nest. Don't nurture it. Don't encourage it. Don't build it up. Don't feed it. Don't let it nest in your hair. Get rid of it. Now, lust is fed in lots of different ways. Lust can be fed by the internet. Do you have a problem? Men and women have problems with pornography on the internet. How are you going to stop letting it nest in your hair? 
Or maybe you need to cut off the internet. I know one guy who did. He said, I can't control myself. I'm going to cut off the internet. The only time I'm going to look at it is when I'm at work. Or perhaps you could stick your computer screen in the midst of your lounge room where everybody else is. And the only time you use it is when other people are around. That would be making sure things don't nest in your head. Are you the sort of person who looks lustfully at others because of those romantic comedies? Perhaps you see a romantic comedy and you think, if only my wife or my wife-to-be was like that. Or if only my husband, oh, we could go walking in the rain on a misty beach and there'd be a picnic at the end of it and he would grab me, you know. Do you sometimes lust after things like that? Unrealistic desires that superhuman guy or superhuman woman that actually doesn't exist? Do you feed that lust by watching romantic comedies? Now, I've got nothing against romantic comedies. I'm just saying you can feed your lust that way. Same with books. Do you read the kind of books that make you all dreamy about the right person? That make you think, oh, what I've got is not very good. Well, Jesus is saying, don't, 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 don't. Cut it off. Deal with it. Don't let it nest in your head. It will destroy your heart. It will not only destroy your heart, it will destroy your marriage if you're married. Don't commit adultery. Powerful words, aren't they? They sit heavy with us. But that's what Jesus is saying here. He's calling us to a very different kind of life. To reject the way of life we've been in and to look differently into the future with our relationships. Well, in this context and in the context of what Jesus has, uh, has to deal with, he goes on to think about divorce. Now, as I mentioned earlier, divorce affects many of us. Uh, these are the statistics for divorce in Australia. And basically one in three people, one in three marriages end in divorce. That's a pretty horrible statistic. And you might remember we've been saying that in Jesus' day people are talking about divorce and trying to work out when it is that they can get divorced. And so Jesus has something to say here about that as well. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, our temptation here is to be like the Pharisees and start going, so when is it acceptable to get divorced and when is it not acceptable to get divorced? I don't know that that's actually Jesus' point here. I think Jesus' point here is this is a serious issue. Don't treat it lightly. You may cause your partner who you divorce to commit adultery. 
You see, Jesus is very clear about his view on marriage. It's faithful monogamy. A little bit later on in the same book, in Matthew chapter 19, we read these words. Don't you love that picture? In, we read these words. Haven't you read, he replied, in, in regards to the same kind of conversation that's going on, that at the beginning the Creator made the male and female and said, for this reason, a man should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so that they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's Jesus' commitment. And he says, I know Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. This is the last option. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Not because, well, we just didn't love each other anymore. Jesus here is defending marriage. And he's saying, look, I don't actually really want to talk about the reasons for divorce. I'd actually prefer you to stay married. And so that's why he says, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness, and there's some question marks about exactly what he means there, causes her commit adultery. Jesus is saying, warning, 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 warning. Do not go down that path if you can at all help it. Now we know from the rest of the Bible that there are other examples of why people may get divorced. And as I said earlier this evening, we're not in a position to discuss that this evening. In fact, I would always prefer to talk to a couple before we do it publicly, before we talk publicly about those issues. Because this is a complex and difficult and painful area. I know that. But I want you to hear through what Jesus is saying, his absolute defence of marriage his commitment to seeing it through and his rejection of adultery, his rejection of lust. Now, I don't know about you, but those are big calls. That is so countercultural. That is such a different way of thinking. I don't know about you, but I kind of feel overwhelmed by that. I'm just grateful for, to God that Jane and I have been married for all these years. But I know it's not easy. And you know it's not easy. Well, earlier on in our series, we noticed that we'd been given a wonderful resource in the Sermon on the Mount. And that was the Lord's Prayer. And I think that's particularly relevant as we think about these things tonight. Notice those words. Forgive us our sins. Who here hasn't sinned? Forgive us our sins. And forgive those who sin against us. Oh, wow. That's going to be difficult. Lead us not into temptation. 
not into lust. Please deliver us from evil, from seeing our hearts destroyed. How? For the kingdom and the power and the glory is yours. This is only something we can do in the power of the kingdom of God. And so I invite you tonight as we say this prayer to recognise the darkness of your own heart and to say, please forgive me. But not only just please forgive me, please empower me to live for the kingdom. Please help me change and be a different person, to walk in new ways, to embrace these kingdom values and to live as a person who loves God so deeply that it's transformed your life. I invite you to say these words with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.